Hey everyone, please listen to this important message that Henry has to share. Hello, my mama says bad words. So please make sure to wear your earmuffs for this week's episode. Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Hey listeners, we are excited to tell you about this amazing brand we just discovered called Dia. Their philosophy is to design clothing for women that want great fashion and proper fit in sizes 14 plus. As you learn to embrace your mom jeans, check out Dia to find denim jeans and a complete outfit for your perfect fit. To help you feel fabulous in your mom bod, Dia is offering our listeners an exclusive savings. To get 30% off, head to dia.com, that's D-I-A.com, and use our code MOMGENES, M-O-M-G-E-N-E-S. You can try the clothes on in the comfort of your own home, keep what you love, and always get free shipping and returns. Finally, a brand that has your mom jeans in mind. Visit dia.com and use code MOMGENES to get 30% off your order. Dia is excited to work with us this season, so head to dia.com and use code MOMJEANS to receive 30% off your next Dia order. Okay, now to our episode. We are in a series called Your Story, where our guests will be sharing the story of healing their relationship with their body. Each person's story is unique to them, and we are humbled by their vulnerability and willingness to join us in this space. As a result, we will not be editing out as many numbers, specific behaviors, or details as we normally would. If anyone's story has details that trigger you due to your healing journey, please press pause and take care of yourself. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Mom Jeans. We are starting off this episode with a question. What do you love and appreciate about the female form? While we're not trying to exclude individuals completely, this will make more sense as you listen to today's episode. So this is going to be your journal prompt and we're giving it to you right off the bat. Yeah, because the bottom line is our culture has very explicit opinions of how women are quote unquote supposed to look how they are to act in the workplace versus the bedroom, move about in our culture, depending on their economic status or race, and exist in their bodies, mostly as a token for male appreciation. And damn, it messes us up. And it's all completely based on social constructs, lies from the beauty industry, and inherent racism. This toxic messaging rarely allows women or men or non-binary individuals to stop and ask, but what do I like? How do I want to be treated? What do I want to be appreciated for? The lack of ability to invest in these crucial identity-forming, values-forming exploration questions leads to a constant disconnect from our bodies as we just try to survive the tormented waters of living in our bodies in a broken culture. Yeah, so today we discussed with Isis Freeman Dirksen how these many-layered lived experiences due to social constructs and a white-centered culture have impacted her body trust. We explore the power in healing our body image through logical thinking of understanding our body's genetic components and the lies of the media, but healing the trauma of the body is so hard. While everyone loves a good cognitive reframe or a positive affirmation, we often need to do some deep work to get the brain's new ways of thinking to seep into our bodily responses and translate to increased body trust. So I'm going to go therapist on you all over here. In 
dialectical behavioral therapy. Try to say that five times fast. We also call it DBT to make it a little bit easier on the tongue. It is a modality that is used in the therapeutic process to teach people skills to increase their ability to handle tough emotions with less reactivity. And in DBT, there's a concept called wise mind. So work with me here. If you can picture two big circles that slightly overlap in the middle, wise mind is where the circles overlap. One circle, we usually have people label logic and the other emotion. So it's a visualization of how we have two pieces of our brains that help us process information and experiences. Logic is the facts of the situation, and emotion is our beliefs, assumptions, fears, and just all the feelings that arise from the situation. The key is to help people realize that we cannot live in just one circle. We are not logical, research-based robots, and we cannot be emotional roller coasters and live very effectively. So rather, we need both to help us be the best version of ourselves. So when body acceptance is challenged, going into wise mind is crucial. We have to honor the feelings and we also have to bring in the logic. What are the facts about fat phobia, weight stigma, our genetic makeup, societal expectations, family messages that are held in our brains? What are the emotions about how all those facts make us feel? the judgmental comments we have received, the beliefs we have about ourselves as a result of trauma or discrimination. We find peace when we merge the two. We acknowledge our pain and our suffering, and we hold on to the knowledge of our genetic blueprint or life experiences that have impacted our bodies. It is a constant merging of both facts and feelings, so our brains and our bodies both begin to work in unison to heal. If you want more about DBT, we will link a website in the show notes on our website. So I have had the privilege of working with Isis Freeman Dirksen through her recovery journey as her dietitian and have been witness to her incredible recovery process. And I'm so excited that she is joining us for this episode and sharing her story. But before we dive in, I want to introduce you all to Isis. She is a 43-year-old self-professed late bloomer with a master's degree in occupational therapy. When she is not being a full-time mom to her two-year-old, she can be found preaching anti-racist principles and letting her inner social justice warrior get her into arguments on social media. Isis believes that music and dance can save lives, is constantly in awe of the color pink when it occurs in nature, and can honestly say that going to treatment for the eating disorder she had since the age of eight was the best decision she has ever made. Let's get to it. All right, everyone, welcome to today's episode where we are interviewing Isis Freeman Dirksen. And so, Isis, we are going to kick it off with making you feel maybe more uncomfortable than you already feel and asking asking you a fun fact about yourself. Oh, my goodness. A fun fact about myself. Um, oh, geez. There's actually quite a few fun facts about myself. How do I pick one? Um, let's see. Fun fact. Uh, I have seen quite a few famous people naked. What? Do you want to provide a backstory <laughs> to that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was, before I went back to school, I was a massage therapist at a very fancy Los Angeles spa um, for eight years. Uh, and I had a pretty, um, pretty uh successful private practice <laughs> so i've been to a lot of mansions wow. <laughs> and oh i have massaged some pretty big names in uh in hollywood um and so yeah i've i've uh seen some i have good thing that you know if i wasn't a, an ethical person i probably could have made a lot of money on some pictures but i don't have any pictures and i <laughs> i wouldn't even like name names if if you asked me so, no yeah you can't yeah so you've seen some famous people's butts i have wow ultimately yeah wow. quite a few actually wow <laughs> wow that is definitely a fun fact for sure i love it 
All right. Sweet. Yeah, it's not well, hard when you're, a, when you're a massage therapist in, in Southern California. It's actually not hard. And you it's work at like no. we're at a spa. You're going to get some famous people in there at some point. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Sweet. Well, let's go from there to some deeper questions. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely breaks the ice. Yeah. <laughs> just we're just going to switch gears here. Um all right, so we are having you on today because you are willing to share your story about your body acceptance journey, and we're curious, could you give us a little bit of your story? What's motivated you to embark on this journey, and tell us who you are. Uh, sure. I, I want to start by saying I'm very nervous to do this. I've never done anything like this before, but um, I- Thank you for doing yeah, this. Yeah, I, I want to because it's so- important and I've as I've gotten older and and gone through um, my recovery journey in itself I've I've come to realize um, how important stuff like this is um, and how important being vocal about it is we shouldn't be hiding in the shadows um, with shame or um, stigma is um, is is deadly, unfortunately, in, in the eating disorder community. And um, I think that sharing our pain and our struggles and our journeys is is helpful. So thank you. Not just helpful, but essential. Thank you. Um, so thank you for giving me an opportunity to, to share some of my story and, and maybe somebody who hears it and identifies um, uh, maybe I can spark something in them. Um, I am in no way an expert. <laughs> I'm in no way uh, um, somebody that I would say is even like far on my journey. I, I am always discovering places and areas that I need to uh, uh, look further into that I need to do more work on. But um, uh, I have to do this because, first of all, diets don't work. Um, I belong to a Facebook group that is even called that. Diets don't work. Um, there is plenty of empirical evidence. I'm, I'm in, I guess, occupational therapy is a social science, but um, I am very big on research and facts. And, um, you know, as well as, you know, I also believe in, in the in the intuition and, and those sorts of things as well. And science shows, data shows that diets do not work as much as my eating disorder wants me to go on a diet sometimes and wants me to restrict. And I know um, factually that, that uh, you know, counting calories and those sorts of things are not the way to long-term weight loss. I know that, um, I know that uh, my dietitian uh, has told me that I Who's that? I, I could never again um, mess with my food to lose weight. I can never again exercise to lose weight. All of those things are true. Um, I fight them sometimes. I have a hard time internalizing those facts sometimes, but I know I know as a intelligent person who understands data um that that's true um and so i have to constantly tell myself that those things are true and and try and find ways to accept myself um as i am i struggle with it every day but i know cognitively uh logically that it is true um and so here i am <laughs> That flows us into maybe your why. You know, you're stating that there's some urges, consistent urges, based off of diet culture or lived experience that is making you still to this day wanting to change your body. But I know that you don't and you're not. So what is your why? Why resist? Um, why, why resist? Like, why do you continuously fight those urges 
when the urges are so strong, yet something else is pulling at your core? What is that why? Because I was miserable. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I still have moments, and I went to treatment in 2013, so it's been a while. And I have consistently worked with my treatment team, and I can probably, I, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to say these words I'm about to say. <laughs> I am probably in recovery, <laughs> probably. Um, but I still fight every day with the idea that, that that's true. Um, I don't engage in behaviors. I, 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 um, uh, I was a miserable person. (laughs) I, I, it was hard for me to live, um, every day. The things that were going on in my head, um, were, made my existence near impossible. And yet I look back on those times and think about how much easier my life was, which is crazy. Um, you know, I was, I had just started my, my process of, I had had said earlier, I went back to school and I just started my, my process of going back to school and I was getting straight A's and I was about to get married and I was planning a wedding. And like, I was on the surface, I looked like I had it all together. Um, you know, but I, I can remember times of just being, I, I went on my honeymoon, I went to Paris and Brussels for my honeymoon. And my memories of being in Paris and Brussels were misery. Um, I was so sad and I felt so alone. Um, every time I left my hotel room, I was uh, hyper aware of every movement that I made because I didn't feel like I fit in the world. Um, uh, You know, I still have those feelings now, but there's also, um, I can also celebrate the fact that I have this body and my body does amazing things and my body is beautiful and I, I can take up some space in this world and um, I can turn off, turn down the, self-loathing a little bit um and uh the miserable feeling um although it still pops up sometimes like I don't know if that ever goes away for people who live in I mean I'm sure it probably goes away for some people but it I don't it hasn't gone away for me yet um but I can turn it down really low (laughs) and I can leave my house and feel sexy and cute and um I can look in the mirror and tell myself I'm beautiful. And, um, that's why, um, I could never do that before. I could never, looking in the mirror was, was painful. (laughs) Um, I always felt it. It's like, I didn't want to exist. It's it's such a hard question. Cause how do you explain, how do you explain why you're killing yourself? You know what I mean? Like slowly, like torturously, but how do you explain the torture? You know, I guess I could say I am a masochist in a way, um, but there was no pleasure in in that kind of masochism. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah, my be, being pregnant, um, I think was uh, the ultimate catalyst to body acceptance because I loved my pregnant body and I still miss it to this day. <laughs> Um, you know, having a round belly was, was amazing. And I was wearing tight clothes for the first time in my life. And I loved showing off my belly and, um, I felt beautiful, even though I was puking my guts out every day. I was like the most sick pregnant woman in the world, but it was still like puke. And then I'm putting on a tight dress and I'm going outside and it's hot and I don't care, but I look cute and I'm pregnant. And, um, and, you know, I, and being being uh being a mother to to my daughter has really uh i don't know it it made it made me feel special i i guess um in a way and that's really that has really driven <laughs> my my desire to be even just like a better person yeah i feel like the beauty of pregnancy if 
you know, you get the chance to experience that, it then takes that masochistic view, I guess, I don't know, of the body and like makes it about another human. And it's being pregnant is such a sensual experience you know what I mean and you have to be in touch with your body and I think for me that was a big that was a big thing because so much of my eating disorder was about not being in touch um, about not feeling things about not seeing things about hiding and um, being pregnant I had to be in touch with all parts I had to make sure I was counting the kicks and I I was pregnant after two losses too so I was hyper aware <laughs> of everything happening with my body to, because you know I was anxious about keeping this child I really 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 wanted a child I've been we were trying for four years before um, this one stuck um, so, you know, having it be such a sensual experience and, and, and sensual in, in the truest um, definition of the term uh, really helped me, like, embody myself, you know. I, I had to really be in my body, and, and I think that that, and loving the changing of my body and feeling the baby growing and moving in my body and loving my round tummy and, and you know, being worried that as a, as a fat person I wasn't going to have a big round belly and then having it and being so excited about that and all of that it was it was wonderful (laughs) there's a modality called dbt that we use a lot in the treatment process and it talks about the two parts of your brain the logical brain then the emotional brain and when you were talking earlier about the analytical components of your body acceptance journey of like, I look at the research, I know what people tell me, I know that diets don't work, like I have all these facts, but there's also an emotional component. And that's what usually our lived experience is stored, where our you know emotions are stored. And we have to have both of those in order to have that embodiment that you're talking about finally reaching in that pregnancy. You know, we can't just have the facts. We have to also have the emotions. So I'm cu- I'm curious if you want to speak on the emotional brain, the part of your body story that's been impacted by life experiences, race, culture, gender identity, emotional traumas, things like that, that you also had to do some of the healing work around. Woo. I know. Jeez. <laughs> and breathe. <laughs> it's just a small question. That's a big one. Um, that's a big one that needs a still needs a lot of healing that I work on constantly. Um, as a black woman in this society that is inherently racist, um, uh, and and being having to be having so many intersectional um, <laughs> arenas that I have to overcome. Um, you know, uh, and having grown up in, in whiteness, like I, I, I am the, um, offspring of black excellence and I grew up in whiteness. Um, I did not grow up, uh, uh, in, um, with a lot of reflections of myself. Um, uh, I don't know if you know what that does that term do you understand that (laughs) what that term is I think if you can share a little bit with the listeners okay (laughs) about that um I have I have very high achieving high achieving parents um my dad my parent both of my parents were academics my father has a PhD my mother has a master's degree and so they were upwardly mobile black people who um thought that the way to improve their family was to move us out (laughs) and up um so I grew up in in you know uh, a white existence basically um I was one of four graduating black people in my high school um so I didn't have a lot of black mirrors um you know and my parents being my parents were at UCLA during all of the revolutionary stuff my mom Angela Davis was one of her professors, you know what I mean? She visited Angela Davis in jail. So my parents were in it, but, you know, back then the idea was that you 
you move up, you know, and moving up was moving to a white neighborhood and, and putting your kids in the best schools and, and um, you know, a lot of, and, and being as close to um, white culture to improve their prospects um, as possible. Uh, so that's how I grew up. I grew up in ballet lessons and I grew up um, music lessons and I did theater and we had vacations to Europe and <laughs> those sorts of things. Um, so of course in that I didn't have a lot of reflections. Uh, I didn't see my body type a lot. Um, and one of the first experience, the experience that really colored my um, view of my body was uh, being told in ballet class by my beloved ballet teacher that I had to tuck um, more. Uh, what she meant was that my butt was sticking out. Um, but like my butt can't be tucked. It's just, it is, but it is, you know what I mean? And you, if you can imagine the only little black girl in, in the dance trying to tuck her butt as much as she possibly can and realizing, and you know, it became an issue for me. I was trying to figure out how to tuck my butt and, and, and noticing that my body was bigger than everybody else in the class. And that's when it started. I was eight years old, um, started restricting my food, started binging, started that it started all started right there. Um, uh, you know, I did not, um, Everything that I interacted with, what the default was a thin white body. And then we moved to the thinnest, most healthy, healthy place in the country, which was Boulder, Colorado, where everybody's a mountain climber and a snowboarder. And, you know, I grew up in, in a high school where everybody was, you know, trekking through mountains and stuff in high school. Nobody was, nobody looked like me at all. And when there were black students they were all doing the same they were thin and and mountain climbing and all of that too and so I was not seen as beautiful and desirable um like all girls of that age you know you're you're experimenting with your sexuality and then you're um coming to terms with your body and everything that I saw was telling me that I wasn't uh I wasn't worthy of those things. And that really, um, it was really painful. You know, I was worthy of, and the other thing is I was worthy of experimentation um, with, uh, you know, I don't know, does that make sense? <laughs> I don't know how far to even go into that. I was worthy of being experimented on um, because I was willing, um, because I was so desperate for, attention um because I was so lonely and sad um I was not worthy of actual affection that just opposed to I went to college in Miami <laughs> which was a total culture shock and the opposite and all of a sudden I am hypersexualized you know all of a sudden I'm thrown in some place where my body is seen as as is fetishized and all of a sudden, I am, am a sexual symbol to people, and I don't know what to do with that. Um, and nor was I taught by my Black excellence parents how to, um, how to survive as a Black woman in Blackness. You know what I mean? Like, I was taught how to be a revolutionary um, in, in, in whiteness. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, so I have had a really hard time figuring all of this out. And I also have to say that I, my first career was in the fashion industry. Um, so, uh, being around thin, tiny people all the time and being in a bigger body was not easy for me. Um, you know, yet again, I was sexual, hyper-sexualized because of the fetishism uh, around my body type and um, f having to figure out at a, at a young age, like I was, I was 17 when I graduated high school. So I was in Miami without my parents figuring out my 
with an eating disorder, <laughs> working with models who were size zero, having to tell them that they were too fat, looking at myself in the mirror, dealing with this dude who wanted to have sex with me. You know what I mean? Like it was a giant mess. I didn't do well. Let's just say that I didn't do well. Um, but it was a lot. Um, anyway, I don't think I need to go further into that. It was, it was a bit of a mess. Um, but all of that uh, has impacted me. Um, that also has created in me a love for the female form. You know, I actually find curvy, softer um, bodies beautiful. Um, you know, I, I have never been one of these people who, who thought that like the hanger look was was pretty you know what I mean I get why they're hangers for the clothing like I know the whole thing behind it I was part of it you know I get that the clothes hang they need the clothes to hang nicely on the model but that's not how women are supposed to look like honestly it's not if your body is naturally like that and you and you're eating normally and you know you're not working out four hours a day great and that's fine but like most women do not have those kinds of bodies like you are altering yourself to be to look like that I understand that and but I think that traditionally women's bodies are more are softer and curvier and I have as an adult have I love that I love softer bodies but accepting myself in one has always been harder even though culturally um you know my body shape tends to be uh what is is uh, culturally more desired mm -hmm. and the norm there you go the it, norm there you go mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah knowing a little bit about you i know that you're married to a white man and you're you're talking about this lived experience being submerged into a white community and kind of that dichotomy that you're experiencing how how do you think that's going to impact your daughter or how do you think that you're going to pass on some of your racial identity and culture onto your daughter how will you navigate that I mean, I don't really have a choice. My daughter, my daughter is part of, she is unambiguously part of the diaspora. Um, so the world is going to see her as a black woman when she grows up. And so it is my job as a black mother to make sure that she knows how to navigate the world. So I don't have a choice um, about whether or not to do that. Um, I have to teach her how to, how to get along in this world. And part of that um, is, I believe, to be body acceptance and how to love herself and, and her body and how to deal with some of the stuff that I had to, to, to deal with. Um, you know, I really believe that being a parent also includes sex positivity and um, consent-informed parenting. Um, you know, those are some things that I did not get in my upbringing. Um, but uh, I, I, my, both my husband and I are, are firmly um, rooted in anti-racism and, um, and we are teaching our daughter. Um, we are, are using that perspective in sort of everything that we do with our our kid. So the books that we present to her are are from that perspective. And if they're not, we insert it. We have to insert it. You know, like we don't we don't have the privilege of living in a world where we can't do that because she is a biracial black child. You know. Um, she's not going to be able to ignore those things. I think what you're bringing up is really on topic with our whole entire series of series of using your story to then change the family legacy and teach a different story to the next generation. And I hear you saying these are the conversations and the education that I wish I had had. And I'm 
passionate now about making sure that those are the conversations I have now. Because body acceptance is more than size. Obviously, that absolutely includes it. But it, there's so many layers of it. Yeah. So I, I appreciate the fact that you're kind of looking at this was my story. And this is the story that I want to pass on. Yeah. I don't want her to have shame um, about her body, about sexuality, about saying no. Um, you know, as somebody who who had a lot of body shame and really wanted validation from men, it was impossible for me to say no sometimes. And that put me in some really terrible situations. And I don't want that for her. I want her to have the confidence and the tools to say, get away from me. You know what I mean? Like I want, <laughs> I want that to happen. Um, I want her to have the confidence to, to say I'm worthy of more, you know, that is, if I have done that, then I have, my parenting has, you know, been successful. <laughs> I think the key in what you're sharing is really the tools, because I think in her life, she is going to experience some of these emotions and the shame and the confusion, because as much as you can control we cannot control society and how you're stating like we live in a racist society. And so I think what you're saying is I am dedicated to providing her with these solid tools so she knows she can at least come back to me and have that firm standing ground um, to be able to support her. So I think if you're saying, okay, in all of this, the core to it all is really body acceptance. So for you, what has been your greatest lesson you've learned in your body acceptance journey? And what are your future intentions for yourself? Mm -hmm. um, it's funny, I wrote in the notes. <laughs> I wrote a Sheryl Crow song, Every Day is a Winding Road. Yeah. I guess that's my greatest lesson. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll play Cheryl Crow in the background. There is I don't no... think we can, but yeah. <laughs> there is no, I was going to say, do you guys have the money? No, we cannot. Uh -uh. For the rights but to... everyone can do it. Every day is a winding round. Yeah, good song. There, there's no linear, um, it's not a linear journey. Um, you know, there's always slips and twists and turns and to be willing to learn constantly. Tina, as my dietitian, I remember the day that you told me that I could never exercise to lose weight again. That blew my mind and threw me into like a spiral that I can't even, like that I can barely articulate. Um, Yes. And, and that, <laughs> <laughs> that was such a huge lesson. Um, it threw me into a spiral, but it also like opened up the like, okay, then I have to just accept, you know, that was when that was like the like, oh, okay, I get it now. Like that was the moment that, that, that the, that the real accepting started because sure. And I understand why. I knew that already. Like, I already knew that. But to, to hear that, and I get it. I can exercise for fun. I can exercise because I like biking. I can exercise because dancing makes me feel amazing and it's exhilarating. And hearing the music and moving to music turns my body into le electricity. I get that. That's why I dance. That's why I do stuff like that. Because it feels good. Um, but hearing those words that I could never do that to lose weight ever again really was the catalyst to, to like, oh, Rick, okay, I got to figure out how to do this stuff. Right. You know what I mean? The true verbiage really, it was, it was trying to convey like, Isis, you need to stop trying to lose weight and just start accepting that you have actually no control over your body. Right. That did right. It. <laughs> and so whether that's through exercise, through food, through whatever manipulation, we actually don't have control over what our body wants to be like, feel like. So a lot of times as a dietitian, I have to be so blunt and basically in a lovingly way 
be like, you have to stop it. Otherwise, you literally are just going to keep spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And you're never going to feel the true love and passion, whether that for you, it was through dance. You need to go dance and, and stop doing it for these alternative reasons because then you actually don't like it right it's not fun anymore it's true right and 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 i'm scared of it too because you know i was also even though i'm i'm classified as a binge eater i was also purging through exercise i used to exercise four hours a day back in the back in the day you know so i also had the fear that i was going that it was going to overtake me again and and you know that was such a big okay <laughs> i get it now you know so what are your future intentions knowing that okay this the the lesson is every day is a winding road it is okay to struggle it's a constant process some days are easier than others having gone through that what are your future intention intentions for yourself so that you can pass that on to yourself and your daughter and um I mean I just want to move without fear like honestly I need I need that it's my meditation it's my religion is is movement like I I love it I want to get to a place where I can step into a, a, a free form dance class and just do it and not have that like oh I don't know oh are people looking at me feeling you know yeah. There's a part of me that wants to include the fact of like still to this day, and now I only know this because we work together, but still to this day, even as you are doing all this work for yourself, setting up safe boundaries, providing yourself with solid tools, there are people out there that undo that for you because of their own weight stigma, their own acceptance of diet culture right and so i mean may yeah mainly the medical profession. mainly the medical profession yes yeah that's that's who i struggle with the most these days is, is medical doctors um you know telling me those are the people that unravel me the fastest is is medical doctors um i have a few people on my medical team luckily my my obgyn man maybe that's why part of my pregnancy was like because she never talked about my weight <laughs> you know what I mean like and that's the time I feel like when a lot of women in, in larger bodies get so much stigma is they go to their doctor and their weight and they're like you need to be this weight and you gain this much weight but only my... gain this much yep and yeah you're like what I yep. don't even know how to do that and my OBGYN was like and I would ask her and she's like, I don't think we need to talk about your weight today. And, and so she was, she was amazing. Um, and she happens to be in a, in a larger body herself. So maybe that's why, like, maybe that's why she gets it. <laughs> um, but medical professionals are, are the ones who tend to unravel me the fastest. Because um, it feels like in that moment, they're the authority. And so we tend to lose our power and the reminder that we are the authority on our bodies. Like we know our bodies better than they do, but that, that power dichotomy really messes with people's confidence. And they're not, they're not trained either. Like I can disclose as much as I want to that I have an eating disorder and they don't know what that means really. Right. And I think what you're saying, which is somewhat the sad part that like my OB, because possibly, I mean, we're speculating, but because she lives in, a similar body she is more compassionate so it's less encouraging for weight change but like thinking kind of big picture here us as humans we shouldn't have to have the same exact lived experience to be accepting right like that's what moves us into this anti-racial space body acceptance space like sex positive space just because it's not your own lived experience doesn't mean you can't be accepting. Well, I was just going to mention that too. I mean, part of the education of black women is that you always need to have a black doctor in your team as well. So to help you advocate for yourself. And that's, that's sad that, that 
exactly what you were saying. Like we shouldn't have to depend on our own people to defend us. Like that's, that's messed up, but that's where we are right now. And it, it's pretty impossible. Yeah. So for the parents listening who are in the middle of navigating this journey of healing their negative body image mentality or even their disordered eating habits, I'm curious, what message do you want them to hear today? Um, I mean, the biggest one, and I, I belong to a lot of, uh, I think a lot of new moms uh, uh, double down on the, on the Facebook groups. <laughs> I'm in a lot of Facebook group, like mom groups. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of like ED mom groups. And I don't understand why these women don't go to treatment. Like <laughs> go to, go to treatment <laughs> that, that saved my life. Like, you know, I had to go twice. Um, I spent a lot of time there. I, I, and, and I know it's, it's hard. I wasn't a mom when I went to treatment. So I, I get that that's another layer. Um, but find a way to get treatment, even if it's with a private therapist or, or something. Um, I know, I know that that can be a difficult thing to navigate because insurance and it's expensive and all of that kind of stuff, but find a way because you owe it to yourself and to your kids to figure out how to live with this. Cause otherwise you're going to pass it on to your kids. That's the last thing I want. You know, I, I do not want my child to have to struggle through, you know, and I, I get she will. She, she's going to struggle with some some of this. It's just part of being a human and a woman in this world. She She's going to see the billboards driving down the street. She's going to hear stuff. She's going to watch TV. She's going to have her peers say stuff to her. But like, like Tina said, I want to make sure that she has tools. And I don't want her to get it from me. You know what I mean? I don't want her to, to get the weird food stuff I got from from my family. Um, you know, um, and if, if you're working with a therapist, please find a therapist that understands eating disorders. Like you need people on your team that, that are ED informed because not every therapist is the same. Not every dietitian is the same. I, I have been to so many dietitians and disclosed my, my, diagnosis and and have been told by people who've said that they are eating disordered dietitians that I need to stop eating sugar and crazy stuff like that not every dietitian is the same it's created equally I say (laughs) yeah but finding someone that is ED informed and that is weight inclusive and that really does neutral work right and And, the last mm. one actually i think is really important is limiting the diet and weight bullshit around yourself so like i used to read magazines in my spare time and i don't subscribe to any magazines anymore because the the ads and the articles and all of that kind of stuff i can't have stuff around me that enforces diet culture um so i have gotten rid of all that stuff i unjoined all of my like fitness um stuff I don't have a scale or we we have a scale but I don't know where it is (laughs) a kind of a thing um you know that kind of stuff is really important curating your visual exposures yeah important and Mm -hmm. even to the point where like I don't watch like tv shows about dieting yeah what Do you have any resources that you feel like have been helpful for you or that you would share to our listeners? Um, I love this. I think it's a website and an Instagram and a Facebook group called Decolonizing Fitness. Okay. I don't know if you guys know about them. They are amazing. Okay. They're amazing. Awesome. Um, uh, Project Heal. Um they're great they're affiliated with where I went to treatment project Tia will help uh provide and connect you with services even if you can't afford them um they provide scholarships and things like that yeah um another thing for me just because I am really I I believe that um 
sex positivity is is a really important part of body acceptance as well. I follow, and I'm not going to name specifics because that would be embarrassing. I follow um, erotic uh, fat acceptance art um, because seeing beauty in larger bodies is so important. Um, not just like photography, but just art in general. I think that that art inclusive body inclusive art is 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 wonderful to have around and to view um and i view it uh often um because you know whatever level of 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 intensity you're comfortable with whatever do that but you know i i want to see beautiful um array of of large bodies um uh on the regular so <laughs> yeah i I, uh, I follow a bunch of of large um instagram models and and artists well thank you so much for being willing to share your story i know that our listeners will definitely be touched on hearing your journey and every story that we tell brings more power to ourselves and spreads messages so i'm really grateful that you're able to do that today with us Yes, thank you, Isis. Thank you. We hope you felt inspired and moved by this week's story. Please reach out to the person interviewed to connect with them in the ways they listed, or you can check out our social media pages at Mom Jeans the Podcast for details on the episode and to find our guest's information. If you love the episode, please leave us a rating and review us on iTunes and recommend this episode to a friend. We are sending you the inner strength to accept your jeans with a G and wear the jeans with a J. Bye. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LeBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mommy. See you next time.